Yes, indeed. Hey, that music means that we've got a player interview, but we're going to throw you a curveball. This is the WCHL podcast. I am the commissioner, Christopher Perry, and instead of a player interview, we've got a interview with uh, one of the high powers there in the ACHA. Let's talk to Ed Giacomucci, the ACHA referee-in-chief, coming to us all the way from Philadelphia, PA. Here we go. Let's talk to the ACHA referee-in-chief, Ed Giacomucci. Hi there. Hey, this is the WCHL Podcast, and I am the Commissioner Christopher Perry. And on this very special edition of the WCHL Podcast, we have a special guest all the way from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It's the ACHA Referee-in-Chief, Ed Giacomucci, is joining us live. Ed, please say hello to all the people that are listening. Good morning, good morning, good morning from cold Philadelphia, just like everywhere else. Uh, <laughs> we have no snow. You guys probably got a little snow, but uh, thank you for having me on, Chris. Well, thanks for uh, yep. yeah, th- thanks for thanks for agreeing to come on. Now I got to give you some uh, a little bit of background. The general manager from Missouri State, who is an avid listener, number one, Ed. This podcast, we only have fourteen listeners. Almost all of them are from Springfield, Missouri. Um, so that's, uh, in, in one of them suggested, Hey, why don't we try to get some, uh, some ACHA folks on here? And I said, well, let me, let me call up Jocko and see, uh, see if Ed's interested. So I was yeah, grateful. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I was thank grateful you that you said yes, especially here over the holidays. I trust that Santa treated you and your family well. All good. Yep. All good. Uh, actually, you know, my missus is away for the holidays. She has kids in California. So she's out there. So I'm, I'm alone and I'm quite enjoying it, to be honest. It's, it's a quiet <laughs> Christmas. I, I am enjoying it. Very nice. Very nice. All right. Well, hey, let's uh, let, let's do this. Ed, you are the ACHA referee in chief. You're also you have a whole lot of titles. I, I found this when I went online, it says that you're the you're the co-founder and the current president of the Mid-Atlantic Hockey Officials Association. Is that still accurate? That that is correct. That's an officials. It's a Philadelphia officials based group. All right. Um, now collegiate officials. So you are correct. So you do the scheduling for a lot of college hockey throughout the in, in the general Philadelphia area. So what you do it for the ACHA and for the NCAA games? Uh, we do, we do the ACHA. You're correct. So it's all college hockey out here. We do college. We do some prep school. Um, we do a little bit of high school. But it's basically higher level stuff. Okay. Um, I have about 250 officials. They travel up. I bump up against New York border down to, oh, geez, a little bit into Virginia, you know, out towards halfway to Pittsburgh from, you know, Philadelphia to Pittsburgh. So that's pretty much our mid-Atlantic hockey, you know, area. And we're going to assign somewhere in the area of 600 to 800 games this year. You know, between all of that, so so we're we're a pretty busy little group. Wow, sounds like it. Sounds like it. It also says you're the former president of the National Ice Hockey Officials Association. Now, if that doesn't scream Grand Poobah, I don't know what does. Uh, so yeah, that's so that's a group Nihoa, and I'm still involved in that. So the ACHA is involved with USA Hockey. Okay. Yep. And then Nihoa is another. They're a nationally recognized group. Uh, so the Philadelphia chapter area, I'm part of that. And NIHOA does everything that USA Hockey does not. Uh, NIHOA officials, they do private prep school, some stuff like that. So groups that are not involved with USA Hockey. Uh-huh. So there's two different worlds. It, it, folks listening, if they know referees, that's common. It's USA Hockey and non-USA Hockey. 
you know, sanctioned. I see. Okay. And then it also says, and this is, I guess, why you have the luxury of uh, just chilling out. Retired after 25 years with Bosch Automotive Services. Look at you. You did your homework. I tried. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> That's quite impressive, Chris. Yeah. And I was very fortunate. Yeah. Um, so I've been in the automotive industry my whole life. Um, you know, 25 years ago or so, I applied for a company called Chilton, which was an automotive book company. I went to work for them. I was a tech author and worked my way up. Chilton was purchased by Bosch. People say Bosch dishwashers, refrigerators, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I was in the Bosch automotive division. Uh, we do technical authoring, a lot of technical authoring. So I tell people, you know, the little owner's manual in your glove box. So normally, uh, you know, the owner, the OEMs, the manufacturers don't write them. They hire a company like Bosch to do that. So I was very fortunate with Bosch. I, I ran technical authoring teams. I did a ton of automotive technical authoring. I've lived all over the world, Chris. I'm blessed. I've lived in Australia, England, California. Uh, Bosch was good to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then I ended up in the sales team in Bosch the last seven years, selling to automotive manufacturers, selling tools. Uh, and then, you know, a year and a half, two years ago, I was very fortunate. Bosch came to me and they said, you know, hey, you know, here's an opportunity for you to go your own way. And I, I, I was quite happy to take it. <laughs> well, very good. So you lived in Australia, huh? I did. I did. It was really, really it was pretty cool. Yeah, you know, lived in a town called Melbourne, which is southern Australia. That's not a town. That's a major city. For, yeah, out, yeah. I was out there for you know seven, eight, nine months, eight and a half months, something like that. It was years ago, and uh, I worked on a project for Holden, which Holden is General Motors of Australia. Mm-hmm. Lived down there and did a technical authoring project for Holden for Bosch. Uh, Bosch is a giant global company, four hundred thousand employees worldwide. So extremely fortunate to be down there. Went swimming in the Southern Ocean and first place in my life I've ever been surfing. And it was a really, really cool experience. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And then, and, and you also said you lived over in, in Europe, in England? I did. I did. I, I yeah, Same type thing, a project for Bosch. Um, it was a project for Ford of Europe. I went over there, did some technical authoring over there for Ford of Europe. Um, I lived in a town called Basildon, which is in the area called Essex, you know, uh, just outside London. So I lived out there for, oh, geez, another six, seven months. Huh. Uh, yeah, pre pretty cool. I was very, my company was very good to me. Bosch was extremely good to me. Well, really fortunate for the opportunities I had. Sounds like it. Look at you, Cosmopolitan Ed Giacomucci. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jeez. Now, I, was the only, I was the only knucklehead that said yes. <laughs> Sometimes that's a blessing and a curse, right? It, it was good. So, Chris, for the Australia, Australia trip, and I'm just one more quick part of this. Sure. So my boss, I worked in Exton, Pennsylvania in my office. I was in my office, and my boss, Oscar Schilling, comes to me one day. And this was like a Thursday. And he goes, what are you doing on Monday? I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I always tell Oscar, I don't know. What am I doing? He goes, you're going to Australia for six months. And I, went, I went, what? Wow. It was literally that quick. Now, I don't have children, so I, I'm blessed. So I could literally pick up and, and I took off for six months and it ended up being eight months, something in that nature. That's impressive. Holy smokes. Wow. Yeah. Now, you, you played hockey. Um, well, let, let's say I know that you're a goaltender. Um, yes, sir. And you, did you play hockey through uh, high school and did you play any junior hockey or was it just high school and then college? I did. So I live outside Philadelphia. Uh, I live in a town called Havertown. Um, as a kid, I always went ice skating as a kid. I always loved ice skating. 
Ardmore skating rink, and nobody would know that. It's literally just a skating rink. As a little kid, you know, six, seven, eight years old, I used to go there and skate. And in the wintertime, I'd be skating on ponds. And um, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, started my hockey career when, you know, what was I, uh, Pee Wee? Yeah, somewhere in there. I forgot, Pee Wee Squirt, something like that. Okay. Um, so I started my hockey where uh, Pee Wee Squirt, I was a goalie. Played, you know, a couple of years of that Pee Wee Squirts, Squirts, Pee Wee's. Um, you know, Bantams, Midgets, I played for the Haverford Hawks, the local team. Um, then went to high school, Haverford High School, and I was a goaltender for them, played for Haverford High. Uh, and then uh, I transferred in my midget year, I transferred to a team up the street, the West Town Quakers. Um, I thought it was a better opportunity, so I played West Town Quakers, I played Midgets, and I played one year of juniors for the West Town Quakers. Huh. Yeah. One year of juniors, and then after that you said... I'm going to focus on school, huh? Well, <laughs> not so much. So what are you, juniors? You're 17, 18, like something I get. So yeah. I started officiating when I was 15, 16, right in that area. Okay. Um, and then I found that my passion for officiating was greater than my passion for hockey. Really? Okay. Yeah. 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 I really, really, it, it is an unbelievable challenge to officiate a game. Um. And again, I'll talk to you. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm a sore sport. I hate losing. I'm one of those. Yeah. I continue to play sports my whole life, but I, I found that my, my love for officiating was greater than my love for hockey playing. How, Ed, how did you get involved? What was it where you, where someone came to you and said, let's, uh, hey, would you be interested in officiating? I mean, how did you get, uh, most people don't get asked to be official. So how did you get in there, especially at such a young age? They don't. So, so if you talk to any official, an official will have someone that got them started into it. Um, you know, so when I was playing, there was a guy by the name of Don Connors. Nobody here knows him, obviously. Uh, Don Connors was a guy that was officiating. And Don said to me, hey, w w would you like to try this? And I was like 15 years old at the stadium right up the street from me. And I thought to myself, yeah, I'd like to try it. So I tried officiating and I was a goalie. Um, and I really took to it. It, it was suited for me. Um, I loved the challenge. I loved the quickness of the game. And my first year officiating, 15, 16, I actually used to skate my goalie skates. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I have people that come back to me and they say, man, I remember like you first started your goalie skates. Uh, and I quickly realized that because I could always skate really well. That was one of my strong points. Uh, my, one of my strong points. Yeah. I could skate forward, backwards. I, I was really an exceptional skater. That knock on wood, I'm, I was blessed with that. I worked at it hard. Um, so I went, then I went to player skates. And I remember, you're going to laugh at this, my very first pair of player skates were Langs. Langs. Like oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Those are rough. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my, so I used to go in my goalie skates and then referee in my Langs. Yeah. <laughs> 16 years old, 16 and a half, something like that. And okay. And, and when you were doing those games, were you doing, uh, obviously you're doing games for, for kids that were younger, but were you also doing games for uh, your, your kids that were your age or uh, even adult games? Um, no, I didn't do that. So when you first start, you know, USA Hockey, back then it was a group called A-House, you know, that's what USA Hockey, the precursor to USA Hockey. Um and then I was basically doing, you start, you're doing kids games smaller than you. Okay. Um, and I pretty much, I excelled pretty quickly, Chris, in the refereeing. I was, I, I got pretty good at it. So when I was 17, 18, 19, you know, I started doing some high school. So I was almost doing kids my same age, which can be trouble. Yeah. But, you know, I, I excelled at it pretty, pretty quickly. 
Okay. So, uh, it, it, it got to be a challenge. You just had to really walk that fine line. Your schedulers would worry, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, were you also, so you were officiating hockey. Did you, did the officiating bug also get you into other sports or were you just limited focused on just hockey? No, just hockey. Um, I mean, I've, I've really been an avid softball player my whole life. I've, I've always, since I've been hit up by baseball, um, you know, once baseball was done, I started playing softball at the age of like 18 yeah. and I played baseball, softball. I was a pitcher, you know, I love it. Oh, I love that competition. I played right up until COVID. Did you really? COVID happened. Oh yeah, yeah. My our, our our softball team folded because of COVID, and we never really started it up again. Huh? Isn't that yeah, interesting? Pitcher. Yeah. A pitcher. Pitch, fast, fast pitch, high arc, uh, and the last twenty years we played six to twelve. What does that arc. mean? Six to twelve. Six to twelve. You can't throw the ball above twelve feet. And you can't throw it below six feet. So basically, you're you're throwing a nice pitch that a batter can hit. Oh, I got you. You have to throw strikes. You got to land. They have a strike zone right behind the plate, so you got to throw strikes. And I was. I was always pretty good at that too, so uh-huh. yeah, I, I enjoyed that. Can't throw one of those that that when you say the high arc, that's those EFAS pitches that nobody can hit. You got to kind of intersect the bat with the uh, path of the ball as it travels down on the home plate, huh? As high as you can throw, Chris. We always used to say, "Make it rain." <laughs> Make it rain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was I was pretty good at that too. So I was really I was really passionate about softball the last you know most of my life. I loved it, loved it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk. You're you're the ACHA referee in chief. Um, what got you? How how did that come about? I mean, I'm, I'm going to presume that someone from the ACHA or that. Uh, let me back up. I'm going to presume Ed that you were involved with ACHA teams, especially as your uh, as your I, I guess participation with the Mid Atlantic Hockey Officials Association. That that led you to you know, the ACHA hierarchy and them knowing you and you knowing them. Um, it did. It did. So, you know, w- when you're an official, I mean, <clears throat> you obviously elevate as you get older and, you know, you elevate to higher uh, levels of games. Um, and then as I got to a little bit, a little older, my, my early twenties, mid twenties, um, I start, started to get involved in management, the side of it, scheduling, you know, putting together a group of the officials, what's best for the officials, so I actually got involved in some management. That's where the NIHO and National Lake Ice Hockey thing group started. Uh-huh. Uh, and then as, you know, the ACHA grew, you know, again, Chris, this is 40 years ago, you know. So as the ACHA group grew, um, we found the need for a USA-based, insurance-based hockey group. That's where the Mid-Atlantic Hockey Association grew. Uh, so I was one of the founding members starting that, uh, and, you know, one of the management. I really... I enjoy the management side of ice hockey just as much as I enjoyed the refereeing side. Really? Yeah, it's, 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 it's not for everybody, but I like it. I like meeting with people, meeting with the groups, scheduling officials, talking to the teams. Um, I, I like, you know, I'm the human that people don't see in mm-hmm. the machine side. Mm-hmm. No, well, I, that intrigues me because obviously that's my pull too, right? I'm not. People tell me all the time I'm not a hockey guy, but I'm. I do enjoy the the management side, the uh, administrative side of of the game of hockey versus the playing or the coaching or the you know the officiating. So that that's interesting. All right. Yeah. And then as I kind of grew in the management side, the, the previous referee in chief was Shane Hanlon. Uh, and Shane was a buddy of mine and Shane said, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm going to step away from this. Is this something you'd be interested in? Yeah. And I said, yeah, I would actually. So, you know, I put together my hockey resume 
uh, submitted it to the ACHA management, went through three rounds of interviews, and they interviewed a bunch of candidates. Uh, and I was blessed and fortunate enough to be chosen for the referee in chief. Yeah, and that was what, 10 years ago, was it? It was something in that. I don't have the exact date. I should know that, but I, I don't <laughs> approximately 10 years ago, yeah. Yeah, I remember Shane. He'd always be in the back of the room down there in uh, Naples trying to hawk things for, uh, you know, Howie's hockey tape. And, yes. you know, he's quite quite the salesman in terms of uh, he was dangerous with a, with an open mic there in the back of that room. Correct, yeah. Yeah, and then. Well, I was blessed that Shane put me up, you know, for, for the uh, position. And the management of the ACHA found that my qualifications, you know, were what they needed for the position. Good, so good. good to me. All right. Well, so so what? What tell tell the folks out there what exactly is it that the ACHA referee in chief does? Because I, I I have a sense there's a lot more involved than just being you know a title and reviewing you know egregious plays. There's got to be a lot more on the administrative side that nobody, as you said, you're the human behind the uh, that nobody knows about. So from a thirty thousand point uh, foot view, what what does the referee in chief do? Yeah, so it all starts first. We have our convention in Naples, and I'll give you just a quick sample of my year uh, at Naples, Florida. The ACHA has a convention. Anybody listening, I highly recommend you go to it. There's teams, uh, there's activities, you can golf. It, it's really a wonderful, wonderful event that all the ACHA teams can come together. Um, when I am down there, my role is a little different because I'm the only referee. That's for coaches and for uh, teams and coaches and administrators. And, um, so what I do is I, I form up with the NCAA guys who are down there, um, and I get a glimpse at Naples of what the rules package is going to be for the following year, and then the, the, next year. So that starts my season. Um, I get an idea of the rules package, what rule changes are going to be. Um, you know, and then I follow up with NCAA in August when they present their rules. Okay, So we have the final rules package. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, I take all the rules package. I make our referee test. I provide all the rules information, the referee test, any changes, documents about rule changes. Um, I make that uh, available, and I send that to all of our ACHA officials in the whole country. Okay. People say, how do the officials get the rules? They get it from me. Um, <laughs> okay. And they, they, anybody can go get it. But so what I do is I put the package together and I said, I send it to the HA st- staff. They send it out to some of the teams. So we try to make the teams and the officials available for the upcoming season. Hey, here's what's coming. These are the rule changes just so they're educated and they're aware. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that starts my season. That's where it all starts. Okay, so that's Naples, and that starts your season. And so your your season basically starts when the actual playing season ends because Naples traditionally is the end of the season, the end of the 22-23 season will conclude, for the most part, with the coaches' convention in Naples in, what's it, late April, early May of 2023. Yep, that's absolutely correct. But that's when, that's when your season starts. Yeah, so I do a lot of homework uh, over the summertime. It's a little more quiet. I'm presenting the rules package. I'm putting the information together. Um, the NCAA puts together their final rules package, and it's a little bit of a challenge for us. So they put it together in the beginning of October, even though I know what it's going to be. <clears throat> I can't send it out until I get the official documentation. So the NCAA puts a rules package out in the beginning of October, and the challenge every year for us in the ACHA is we start some games – before the official rules package is available. Mm-hmm. While I know what the changes are going to be, I do not send them out until I have the official paperwork. Okay. So the first couple of weeks of our season, 
and, you know, and folks say, hey, I haven't got the rules information yet. And I say, yeah, that's correct. But that is our challenge every year. So, you know, when I get the rules information, I try and bring all the teams and the officials and bring them up to speed as quick as possible. Yep. All right. And so so that starts that starts in, in March. You bring you get bring people up to date with the rules as quick as possible when the season goes on or once the season gets going. Um, in, in season, well, let, let's back up. Let's back up because you talked about a referee test. There's a lot of people out there, especially the 14 listeners that we have, um, that would argue, well, wait a second, some of these referees don't know what they're doing. You know, that's why we have all the all the – you know, off ice, the halftime officials that are sitting in the stands calling the plays or calling the game, right? They have all those junior referees that, uh, that are in the stands. So tell me about the referee test. I mean, what is that? Um, is that just a refresher? Do people have to pass it? What happens if you don't pass it? So if you're an official, I take a little different approach than most organizations. So if you're an official, to give you an example, USA Hockey, whatever organization you're involved with, Federation Hockey, AAU, they have a rules test for the officials, and the officials are required to pass it. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I've been doing this many, many, many years. Um, USA Hockey, it is their rules test and becoming official can be challenging. Okay, So we have officials out there that have to know, uh, you know USA Hockey rules, um, Federation rules, a lot of our officials work pro hockey. A lot of our officials work many different leagues. Um, you know, so they have to know the rules. So what I do is I don't require my officials to have a passing grade. What I do require my officials and my officials group is that they give each person the test and they require the person to present the test and present the the, uh, the answers from the officials. Okay. Okay. I want our officials to get together. I want our officials to talk about the rules. I want our officials to review the rules. Um, I find it's much more effective if you get together as a group rather than one person. Because for USA Hockey today, I have to take the test, me, and pass the rules. I find it much more effective if you get two and three and four guys together and you talk about a rule. Offsides is the player's foot up because you get four or five different perspectives and the players bounce stuff or the referees bounce stuff off of each other. Mm-hmm. So, I like my officials to get together and take the test as a group. That's why I do not require them to turn back to me the passing grade. But I do require each individual supervisor around the country to go over these tests with their officials. That kind of makes sense. Like It's so hard to be an official these days. I don't want them to struggle to be an ACHA official. No, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. And and, um, I know exactly what you're talking about because you – People have seen have they have different experiences and they've been in different situations and so they can say oh yeah that's when this rule came up or you know I've, this is a situation in which this rule um, would would be applicable I saw this in a game that sort of thing and uh, so that makes perfect sense so let me, let me ask this Ed you you mentioned that you make sure that all of your um, supervisor or maybe I'm doing this wrong your the the officials, you, you, you dole this out. You're the referee in chief. You, yep. you don't go directly to, I mean, I, I guess you do go directly to the officials themselves, but there are supervisors for these groups of officials. How many of, how many of those are there within the ACHA? How many of those are there that you deal with uh, throughout the nation? Um, so uh, you're correct. I do not go to each individual official. Um, so we go to the supervisors of the officials groups and we work through them yeah. and we ask them to pass down the information to their groups. 
Um, and I have approximately 50, 60 supervisors around the country, at least. I'd have to look at my list. It's probably oh. a couple more. Okay, but it's not like 200 or, or 300. It's 50 or 60, which makes sense. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. Okay. And then I have some, so we have officials groups. The ACH is a little different, Chris, and I think you know this, obviously. We have groups, like in Philadelphia, we have a group with a couple of uh, supervisors, and I have 250 officials. But then there are teams around the country, which can be a challenge, uh, I'm not going to pick on any teams that they, the team themselves assigns the officials. Mm -hmm. So that would be really, you know, one small group of officials. So I, I contact them also. Okay. So we have a very unique niche here in the ACHA. I have groups and then I have individual officials that I work with. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That would, uh, yeah, that's kind of wild that the teams, I mean, I guess, with 450 teams at all different levels here within the ACHA, I guess it would make, I hadn't thought of that. I guess it makes sense that you would have teams that actually assign the officials. But They do. Uh, it is not common. Yeah. But we, we do have a handful of teams, a bunch of teams, 10, 20. Um, the, the women's divisions, we have a more, more in the women's divisions than the men's. Okay. Um, but we do have that, where the team actually works with individual officials and assigns the games. And then they have to work with the team to make sure that they have the rules package. So it gets to be a little bit challenging of, you know, getting all the information out. Yep, yep, I hear but you. I that hear. is why, Chris, so I have all the information on the ACHA website, achahockey.org, and there's an officials tab. Everything I am telling you is on that website. So anybody listening, going to where the rules are, where's the rules test, where's the rule changes, where's the most inf recent information. I post it all there because I find it easier to say the official, go get it. I've given it to you, but if you've forgotten it, you can go get it, review it again. One of the things that I like about the ACHA website, and I'm partial to it, um, is the fact that uh, uh, the incident reports are the forms are right there online and i've had uh, just throughout my few years of being a commissioner out here in one of the places where we have to you know where there's not an awful lot of officials out here in the west uh, especially in some of the more remote places but uh, we have to tell them or not tell them but to suggest that hey this is the rule and you need to follow it and all of these things are here so when there's a major incident in a game you should write up the incident report and here's where you find the incident report and they're like oh well, can you email it to me and i'm like no 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 it's right on our website you can i'll send you the link to the website but that's about it yeah yeah very very nice I would, so i would like it chris and this is one of my, i have a whole wish list yeah one day make it an electronic form so guys who just go on and fill it out guys and girls go on and fill it out and just submit that might make their life a little bit easier yeah so that, that's kind of one of my wish lists, and I know this is kind of part up your alley, but uh, oh, yeah. you know, and I, I know there's technology challenges, and you know, but uh, that, that is one of my wish list items. Yeah, I'm going to write this down here. I'm, I'm writing wish list, yeah. electronic submission of uh, incident reports. Wouldn't it be reports. nice if you could just fill out a couple things and go submit? Oh, yeah. Come on. That's what everybody wants to do. I mean, yeah. you, you would think that we would have that technology available, and uh, it's just a matter of doing it. Um, as opposed to, you know, filling out this PDF or filling out this, uh, you know, printing off a Word document and, you know, handwriting it and then sending it in. Yeah, and our officials, Chris, are amazing at doing this. Mm -hmm. We are blessed to have them. So yeah. Are, as you know, you and I know, obviously, that our officials are very dedicated. Yep. College ACHA officials are very dedicated. 
very good at what they do, um, you know, and, and they want to help and get things right. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. They, you're, uh, you're D1, you're D1 one league. So I have the men's one, two, and three, yeah. and the women one and two. So I get these from all over the country. Um, my days, my after my weekends, can be quite full. <laughs> well, well, that 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 my I was going to get to that question, but the I wanted to if, uh, wind up the the season. If your season starts when the regular season ends, when does your season end? Uh, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> it ends when the it season doesn't. when it it ends at Naples. It's just a big it, circle. So uh, I enjoy Naples, Florida, because it kind of gives me, um, it really gives me a break. Once the season's over and the Nationals are over, I take a breath. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, until Naples. And I, so I kind of uh, take a breath in that short term there, which isn't very long. And, and then, you know, Naples starts my season over the summer. You know, I, I kind of a little bit in slow motion, um, but I'm still moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, I'm always, all of our officials groups, anybody that's in this, I'm always out watching games, watching high school games, um, supervising officials, looking for more officials. Um, as you know, and we'll probably talk about this, the challenge of getting officials is the, uh, it, it is the biggest challenge I have ever seen in my 45 years of doing this. Yeah. 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 Well, let, we're, we're definitely going to talk about that, yeah. but let's, let's, uh, I'm going to double back. You said on weekends, um, your, your day can be pretty full. Uh, what, what's a typical game week like for, for Ed Giacomucci as the referee in chief? I know from my own personal experience, when let's say stuff goes sideways in a game, you know, I'm sending a video clip or I, I get an incident report and I share it with you guys or you you guys, and by you guys, I mean, I'm men's division one. So it's Brian Moran, the men's division one commissioner and you as the referee in chief. Um, in that, but that's just, I'm just one conference in one out of nine conferences in men's division one, and that's one division out of the five. So what's a typical game week like for, uh, the referee in chief? Um, so by the time the weekend comes around, I come around a Monday or so, I'm going to guess I probably have out of all the emails, 10, 10 emails that, that probably need some kind of attention, uh, 10 game situations that need attention, um, you know, I receive many, many more emails of game reports of, you know, any situation that involves a suspension, a game misconduct, a DQ, or any situation um, that we should know about, I get a game report. So I probably get 30 game reports over the weekend, standard of DQs, and we file them. Um, they come to myself, um, and they come to the individual commissioners, whether it be, you know, Brian Moran, D1, John Eccles 2, you know, uh, Derek Connor 3, uh, and myself. So we get a standard amount of just routine DQs that we track. Okay? And then I probably have about six to 10 that I need to look into. Um, a DQ with an abusive official, uh, a player that received two DQs, something that was a little above and beyond. Um, so I, I go through them. Um, and then out of those, we could, there's probably four of them. You could sort quickly. You know what to do. I uh, work with our uh you know, director or director of hockey ops, Dave Kurtz. Uh-huh. Sometimes we need to take additional action. And I say, Dave, Hey, let's do this and this and this and this. And then every week there's probably one or two that I need to dig into a little further. I have to get additional game reports. Got to ask for videos. Um, I got to talk to some players. I have to talk to some coaches. Um, you know, something that happened that, that just is, you know, um, above and beyond, you know, and it said it's not to our ACHA standards. 
So every week there's probably a couple that I really need to dig into. Now, so now, that's that's my standard week. Now you said you you talk to players. Do you actually talk to the players themselves, or do you talk to do you just deal with the coaches, commissioners, the administration side of things, or do you are is there a point in time where you do get on the horn with a particular player? Um, I, so I would never talk to a player. Well, that's not true. That's not true. If, if something happens that's um, above and beyond, yeah, um, I always want to give the player their chance to address their point. I, I think that's only fair. Um, okay. You know, if, if something happens that isn't correct, um, the player is always the last person I talk to. Yeah. Um, it, it, so I had one, you know, a couple weeks ago. Um, I talked. I talked to coaches. I actually talked to fans. Uh, I, I talked to you know uh, several different po- folks, um, and, and the player you know who was uh, had a, had a situation. I absolutely talked to that player. I want to hear their perspective. I don't think it's fair to put something together without actually talking to the person that you're, you're possibly going to take action against. I want to hear their perspective. I got you. You're going to give him his, his day in court, basically. I, I, it's, I would never do it any other way. Yeah. Never. Okay. All right. Well, that, that that's and that, that's what stood out to me um, I, when, when you said that, because I know from my dealings, uh, you know, I don't get the same... I don't get the same uh, urgent calls that, that you would regarding, you know, player and player behavior, but I do get things from, you know, players every now and then, um, you know, stat change this, you know, Hey, you know, my, my name is misspelled or, Hey, can you help me out? And I normally, I don't like to talk directly to players regarding those types of things. I mean, I, I don't mind talking to a player to say, Hey, how are you? And, you know, shoot the bull with them. But when it comes to the administrative side of things, I always like to, you know, work the chain of command, if you will, and go through coaches, administrators, and uh, let them uh, deal with that. I don't want, you know, so that that when you said you talked to players, I was like, whoa, wait a second. Um, it, it is not common. I'll give you the example, Chris. I'm not afraid to say this, but we had a player-fan interaction. Mm-hmm. And there were many things that went wrong in that that should never, they should never come together. Um, and at the end of it, I made sure I talked to the fan, wanted to have their side, and I talked to the player, and I wanted to hear their side. Okay. So well, I, that I makes sense. That was only fair and appropriate. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect yeah. sense. All right, so that's your that's your Monday. Um, when, when does the – or not that's your Monday, but that's how your week starts. When do you, you – you, you go through your process and you say that you whittle the, the 10 things that need some attention maybe down to one – when does is, is is that down to one by the uh, you know by the Wednesday or Thursday and then you start the whole process all over again? Is that how life is or? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, some of those situations that I need to talk to multiple people may last a couple of weeks. Just mm-hmm. simply getting in touch with folks. Okay. Um, but that that's that's pretty common. Um, also, during the week, we always talk about you know officials scheduling. Um, our area is not the only area that's short. Uh, so during the week, I'll take six, eight, 10 calls from my officials groups around the country, just saying, you know, Hey, I might be short officials this week. Are you okay if they go in three instead of four? Um, so you're always getting something from around the country, phone calls, yeah, yeah. officials ask, asking for assistance, some guidance, um, you know, just letting me know what's going on. So that, that's a common scenario to calls during the week. Okay. All right. Makes sense. Makes sense. 
Well, let's, uh, before we get into um, talking about the shortage, I want to delve into the wish list because you've, we've already talked about one of Ed Giacomucci's wish lists, and that'd be the electronic submissions of incident reports. Um, I know from uh, in years past, we've talked about, uh, you've expressed an interest in trying to uh, do some other things, uh, maybe standardizing uh, some of the overtimes. Uh, procedures throughout all five divisions. If you were king for a day in the ACHA, um, what would King Ed Giacomucci, what, what are some issues that you'd like to resolve? <laughs> and and, and well, Ed, um, the beauty of this, Ed, is nobody's li- nobody listens. Word, Chris, I don't want to go there. Um, there, there are just, um, yeah, out of respect to our board and things I'm working on with them, I, I, there's some things I don't want to share. All right. Well, what, what, but, what's one or two things you would want to share? I mean, I don't want to, I'm not trying to get you in trouble here. And again, nobody's yeah. listening. Um, no, I, but, no, but you never know. Well, that, that's true. I, I, you respect, know. I respect my seniors. My <laughs> but, uh, you know, there, there's got to be, uh, there's got to be some things that are, um, you know, not, that, that aren't politically charged enough that would, uh, at least within hockey circles, that, you know, is it score sheet reporting? Is it, um, I, how about this? One thing, one thing for me that I would really like, and this is just me, um, I would like for a better, not a better um, explanation, but a, I guess a better um, information provided to teams about how they can appeal and I guess it's more of managing their expectations because Ed, you know how it goes. I'm sure you know more, probably more so than anybody because you're on the receiving end of a lot of those things. And I, heck, I've been, I've given you a couple of those receiving things um, where you know something goes sideways on a Friday or Saturday and it just doesn't smell right. Some kids were having a pig wrestling contest in a corner and nobody, they just wrestled one another to the ground, but they didn't fight. But they've got you know two or three DQs issued each, and now they're sitting out for the next three weeks and by God, we're playing the the game of the century this Friday. We got to have this overturned, you know, the coaches, teams, they expect that to be looked at and resolved. They don't understand that there's a process that it has to go through. Um, I, I would, I guess if I were one of the things that I would like is for a, a better of the, uh, some, what I would call client management in terms of managing those expectations, um, so that folks would know, hey, if you, you can appeal it, but it's not going to be something that's immediate. It's going to take a week or two to go through with the process. What's what's something or something again that's not politically charged? I don't want to get you in trouble, Ed. Um, <laughs> I'm not scared. Right. No, I will tell you this, Chris. So, I, I, if I had a wish list, um, I would like our ACHA technology, the website, to be a, just a, a step better. Yeah. And what I mean by that is of tracking of penalties. So I could look and see what players have penalties. Um, something a little more, you know, um, technology based. Okay. So I, I think our website, the technology of it could just be a little refined so we could track penalties. Officials could submit, uh, you know, game reports. Um, a- again, somebody could go in there and maybe submit an electronic appeal. Um, I-, I think those are all in our wheelhouse of what kind of we're all talking about. Yeah. Okay. All right. I like that. We need to, I think, Ed, one of the first things we need to do is fire the guy that deals with the ACHA website because that current guy is a bozo. Um, you know, it, he doesn't know what he's doing. So, all right. Well, and I understand technology is difficult, Chris. It's not cheap. 
Um, and I understand because I used to run Bosch when I worked on run websites. Yeah. And I understand the technology behind it. It, it is not easy. One of the, yeah, one of the things I would love to do with a website is just to get an app. I think it would be great to have an ACHA app. Um, but uh, apparently that's that's a little difficult. So, but hey, let, let's talk about it. You brought it up. You mentioned it. It's a problem nationwide. Um, there is a, uh, a shortage of officials, especially not just in, in hockey, but in all sports, but especially in hockey because hockey is such a unique sport. Um, so I, I read an article, and again, this is just me doing, you know, Googling Ed Giacomucci. I read an article um, where you, uh, it was, I think it was out of the West Coast. And there was a coach that said, uh, yeah, we got a shortage of officials, but it's, but it's because all these guys want more money. They're always wanting more money, and so that's why we have a shortage. And you came back and you said, no, 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 it's not that. It's because these folks are taking abuse and they're figuring it's not worth their time. That's why they're wanting, you know, it might be that's why they're wanting more money because it's not worth their time to come on out and get abused. So the attitudes towards officials have changed where people feel a little bit more emboldened. So talk a little bit about the, the shortage of officials and I mean, is that real? I know it's real, but just how real is it? And uh, then we can talk about, um, you know, maybe a, a solution or two. Yeah, so, so if I'm involved, Chris, there's a shortage of officials um, and there's many reasons for it. Okay. It is not just ice hockey. Um, I've seen national articles on it on, you know, NBC news about sports officials. So, so it's real. Um, there are many, many reasons, you know, why there's a shortage of officials. And we'll talk about that. Um, our sport, in my opinion, is the worst because our officials have to be skilled, talented. You cannot bring someone, you know, who says, I want to try officiating in the hockey because our officials are ex players who have played since they've been young. Uh-huh. It is a skilled sport. Um, so you have to be able to skate. Finding our officials is a challenge to find somebody who is skilled, has played this game for their whole life. Um, someone that wants to take that step into officiating because it is not for everyone. And then simply retaining that official. Um, that's where our challenges come in. Okay. Yeah. So uh, that is our challenges. And you can look at, I can give you, I'm going to give you some statistics. Sure. Um, but so the number one reason it, this is without question in our sport, I'm involved in USA hockey boards. I'm involved with Federation, AAU, private organizations. The number one reason that we do not retain officials is abuse, abuse from the parents, abuse from the fans, abuse from the players. Um, we lose. I've seen many different statistics, but somewhere in the area of 70 percent of officials we lose within the first two years. Really? And the reason is because they simply don't want the abuse. Wow. 70% of of new officials leave within the first two years. That's amazing. Yeah. And I've heard numbers within the first five years, we lose 80% of the officials. Wow. And it's, what do you think is the number one reason that folks officiate? What do you think? I would, uh, I would think, um, I would think a couple of things. Uh, first, the, the, people are interested in money. Um, so I'm going to say the, the pay. I'm going to say, number two, they're interested in uh, trying to uh, uh, enhance a or to stay in the game. 
Um, it's maybe it's something that where they can't play at a certain level anymore, but they want to stay in the other game. And number three, I think it's probably because they're friends. Uh, they have friends that have that do it and say, "Hey, come on and do it. We can have a good time." Okay. Number one reason. Yeah. Why folks officiate? Love of the sport. Okay. I'm looking at a statistic here. Seventy percent of all officials that go into officiating officiate because love of the sport. Yeah. And that was me. And that's um, you're going to find. Okay, that the officials that love the sport will elevate themselves to the higher games. Um, the officials that do it for the money, uh, they do not go to those higher elevation games. Yeah, okay, makes so, sense. So the statistic here is 70% do it for love of the sport, 25%, 26% do it for staying in shape. 25% of officials that officiate do it for the money. Wow. So people do it for for, a common statistic. I'm looking at the numbers here. It's a common statistic amongst all statistics I see. Okay. Yeah. And that, and and that's just to get into the sport. And you're mentioning it's not just the threshold of getting people to break in, but it's once they've broken in getting to, to keep them the retention issue. Yep. It, It is a challenge. Um, and the folks that stick around are the folks that really love the sport and love competition. Um, officiating is a very challenging position. Uh-huh. Um, it, it's it's really really challenging, and I I couldn't I couldn't love it more than anything else I was doing in my life, uh, doing the championship game, um, you know, and doing a good job. Um, it, it is, it, I I love the sport, and that is mostly why people do it. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, tell tell me this, Ed. Um, why is it? I mean, you, you, you mentioned that, um, you know, it's, it's difficult, especially for hockey, but uh, why, why is it that um, players um, are, the, are the folks who are best suited to become officials? And, and I'm going to presume that's because of the skill that's necessary. They have it already. So what is it especially about the ACHA um, that allows or, or that would uh, – I guess, present a good opportunity for folks to become officials. Yep. So, yep. And I sit in these focus groups and they, where do we get our officials? And um, so our ACHA players, Chris, as you know, this, our men and women are in, incredibly skilled. Yep. Uh, you're probably not going to find an ACHA player that'll tell you, oh, I only started playing last year because we know that's not true. Um, our players have been playing since they've been young children. You know, been playing since they've been little kids and went up through youth sports and then high school and then into college and they're playing our game. So our official, our players know the game. They're skilled. They love the game. And I would like to take our players who have been doing this their whole life and take them over to the official side. They are a perfect fit. And we have, I believe, in numbers are around 13,000 players, something in that nature. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be a perfect fit. Um, I'll take it to the next level. What are we doing? Um, I continuously work with USA Hockey is our sponsor with the ACHA. All of all officials have to be fully registered with USA Hockey. So I constantly work with USA Hockey. Matt Leaf, director of hockey operations there. Matt's a great guy. Um, I work with him. You know, we, we try and reach out to our players and say, you know, hey, don't forget when you're done playing as a college player, what are you going to do next? Mm-hmm. Play mentally? You know, which sometimes the competition there isn't that great. Um, if you want to come over and officiate, you know, we'll get you started in youth hockey. You have to be registered USA hockey, and then we'll bring you over to the ACHA games. That 
player will continue the level of competition at a high level with her ACHA in officiating. Yeah. But and as we talk, officiating is not for everybody. Yeah. Um, well, what, what kind of a temperament do you need? You say it's not for everybody. What, what are you looking for in, in that particular, uh, in the best prime candidate? The best prime candidate, you're going to laugh at this, is a player who was the most aggressive, nasty, bend the rules, um, a player who took penalties. Um, we find that those players who were spunky for the game make the best officials. Why, why is that? Even, yep. What, what? Um, they love the game. They love the competition. Yeah. Um, we, uh, the players who were spunky players come over. I love them. Um, you know, well, in the NHL now, there's there's a couple of friends of mine that when they played, they were spunky players, and now they're NHL referees. <laughs> <laughs> Is it because of their intimate knowledge of the rule book from as a as a player? That I, I don't know if I could get. I don't know the exact reason for that, but I find that our our players who were you know spunky and you know who went after it, they they seem to. I don't know if they like the competition more, but they make excellent officials. Maybe they knew the rules. Maybe they knew how to bend the rules. Um, any player who is, uh, you know, uh, he's out there and putting it out there and, you know, cross putting, pushing that rule book right to the, the limit. Um, I actually, I try and talk, I reach out to those players. I'm like, you know, that's I, gr- I want that. That's, that's, that's great. That's, that's kind of wild. Yeah. You would not have thought that at all. That's, uh, that's wild. Now I, I, but I get it about the ACHA being a good, um, uh, not a breeding ground, but a, a great a pool for candidates that want to be officials and, and Ed, forgive me, but I know that the ladder, and I talk about this, the ladder of progress, the ladder of success, the ladder of promotion from the ACHA to the NHL as a player is very, it's, it's long and it's, it's got a lot of rungs on it. You're, there's only one person that I'm aware of that ever went from the ACHA to the NHL and Daniel Walcott a couple of years ago. Um, but I know that the ladder, um, that same ladder is much shorter and has fewer rungs for folks that are on, that aren't playing, that have different, uh, roles within the game of hockey. For instance, broadcasters, we've, we can look at NHL broadcasters, um, right now and you can, there's probably a good handful of folks that have ACHA ties. I know that Chris Westcott, who's the, uh, uh, works with the New Jersey Devils, started at Central Oklahoma. Carter Baum, who worked at Oklahoma, he's now with the Chicago Blackhawks. Josh Bogorad, who broadcasted uh, games for the Arizona Wildcats years ago, is now the broadcaster for the Dallas Stars. So that career opportunity is, the you know, it's only two steps away in, in that aspect as opposed to 102 steps away from a player p- point of view. I know that there was a there was a fellow who played out of the Arizona State years ago. His name was Corey Chipperfield. He played, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. He became an official, and he was in the USA Hockey Officiating Program. I don't know what he's doing these days, but he was doing East Coast games and USHL games and he was and ACHA games, and he was great, and he was great. And it made sense to me as to why he moved on because, well, number one, he wasn't a star player, but he was a grinder, so it kind of fits with what your – prime candidate um uh you know characterizations were but he had the ability to skate and keep up with play and you know he wasn't at the red line or the other blue line calling goals down at the other end of the ice you know he was uh 
pretty good. So it makes sense that the ACHA would be a place where kids, once their playing career is over, where they can keep playing competitive hockey, but from the officiating point of view, they can stay in the game and still at a very high level and have the opportunity to advance to an even higher level. Is that Excellent points, Chris. Yeah, I, I could talk on this all day long. So I have many officials yeah. um, in Philadelphia or all across the country that actually work pro hockey. Um, when I was a youth, when I was a young kid, I did. I worked in the American Hockey League and the East Coast Hockey League. Um, my first pro game was actually here. Nobody would know this, the Philadelphia Firebirds. Um, <laughs> it was an American Hockey League team out of Philadelphia, and they played in the Civic Center. When I was a kid, I got to, was a linesman for the American Hockey League for a while. Yeah. Um, it, so you are correct that getting to that point um, from an official's point of view is uh, uh, easier than a player. Um, right here in Philadelphia, I have numerous officials that work the American Hockey League. Um, I have one of my women that's a referee in the American Hockey League. So it's uh, it's all across the country. I can tell you officials. I can give you names up and down where United States Hockey League, uh, you know. So I can tell you names all up and down, you know where they started and actually moved to the U.S., you know, HL and all those other leagues working their way up. Well, let, let me ask this then, Ed, um, presuming that we do have, you know, an extra listener or two, how does, if someone is interested, if somebody does want to continue as an official, um, how do they get started? I mean, what, what should they do? Yeah, so, so, you know, again, our officials all have to be USA certified. Um, so if somebody's listening as a youth, you know, and, and wants a young child and wants to start, you know, uh, you would start by going to USA Hockey and registering. Our college players, they would want to do the same thing, but I would want them to reach out to me, you know, referee at achahockey.org. Um, again, we send new, multiple emails during the year. We reach out to the teams. So I don't know if those players have seen them. They can respond Everyone would have to start with registering with usahockey.com under the officials tab. That's okay. where it starts. Huh. And then they reach out to you. So they register with reach USA Hockey, reach out to Ed. Yep. And then I will put you in touch with your ACHA supervisor in your local area. Most of these players um, don't need to reach out to me because they actually know the officials. Mm -hmm. They know who the supervisors are in the area. And the local supervisors will actually help get them started. Okay. All of the officials that I know myself, there's always a person that will take you and mentor you and get you started. Um, very few, in my opinion, very few officials go to usahockey.com and register. Somebody usually gets them kick-started. Like, to me, it was Don Connors. Um, many of my officials in the group, again, I'm an old guy, they tell me, hey, you're the guy that got me started. Um, so I suspect that, you know, a lot of players who are interested They've already either started or they've talked to officials or how do I do this? So, but we will gladly help them referee at ACHAhockey.org. And I will gladly help you get you started. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, let's, let's, we talked about, uh, we mentioned, you know, the number one reason why folks get out of the game once they try the officiating is because of the, the abuse that they, uh, that they endure. What can be done to uh, uh, maybe, you know, kind of, stem that tide of abuse that gets thrown people's way. Yep. That's a, that's a very fair point, Chris. So, um, you know, again, I've been doing this a long, 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 long time. Um, you know, from coaches and all that, all they know is that the officials, if they don't show up, we're not there and it's the officials fault. Um, uh, I believe it starts with some education, mm -hmm. uh, just, and, and everyone's heard this and you and I are on the inside, but all coaches, all players, 
they've heard this, you know, we're short on officials. And quite frankly, I, I think they're tired of hearing it. Um, but it is a reality. I believe that education on truly, you know, what the problem is, you know, how we help correct it. We're all in this together. It's no different than if you go to a rink and the lights aren't on, if you go there and the ice doesn't work, if you go there and there's no officials. There are several sides to this, and we all need to be in this together. Um, I'm currently working on a relationship with a group called Officially Human, um, and it's a wonderful group that does some education you know, on the challenges of being official, what it's like, the human. Because all of our officials, Chris, they are simply ex-players. You know, I was a goalie. All my players were forwards. You know, who they're ex-players that love the game. So uh, I, I think education, continued education is needed. Um, you talk about financial compensation, um, you know, what the officials make. Uh, so right now, and give an example in Philadelphia, you know, official can tell me that, you know, hey, I can go out and do two midget games, you know, and, and make you know, double the money of doing one college games for the same amount of time, um, you know, but our officials would rather do our college games. They just need to be fairly compensated. So the, the, the rate, the, the pay rate is, is slowly increasing, but it's a challenge. You know, there are not enough officials. So what do you do? Yeah. You might have to aim a little more right now until the numbers go up to take the higher level games. Okay. Well, and I got to believe, uh, you know, you mentioned that the number one reason why folks become officials is for the love of the game. And I mean, Ed, let's be honest. I mean, that's why kids are playing in the ACHA. It's for the love of the game. Most kids are paying to play hockey in the ACHA. And, you know, they're true student athletes. And that's part of the, it's, it's my, it's one of the reasons why I'm drawn to the ACHA is because these aren't, you know, uh, you know, I'm not going to say I'm not, I, they're, these kids aren't, you know, gifted and with with scholarships and and treated like kings, you know, on campus with everything. These are regular college kids that are busting their hump, probably working, going to school, and playing, but they're playing for the love of the game. And so it would make sense that kids in the ACHA that are playing once their you know five year playing career is up, if they want to keep you know, staying at the competitive level and stay in hockey. And, and as you say, not just go to beer league. Um, yeah, this would be a great opportunity for folks to do it. And so tell me more about officially human. Um, what is it? What, what is it? Um, uh, I guess, I guess, or is it for all officials? Is it just for hockey officials? What is, tell me a little bit more about officially human. Yeah. So this group officially human, again, why we have not, we do not have any kind of official relationship. I've been in conversations with them. I like what they have. It is education, uh, you know, all sports, you know, education. And I sent you a couple of public service announcements mm -hmm. on just what the officials are like. And, you know, and, you know, what you should really expect when you go to a game, you should probably, you know, worry less about the officials and cheer for your team. And, you know, th there's a whole lot to it. There are some training modules that they have, um, that I would like to implement into the ACHA. Um, so it's it's education on just that, officially human, that, you know, the officials are humans. Um, you wouldn't go to your boss or go into work and scream at your fellow worker with obscenities, you know. And I get it. Hockey is a very, very emotional sport. I do not have a problem with that. And I tell every group I talk to, every locker room I go into, the coaches, every team I talk to, it is okay to become emotional. 
when you cross that line and getting personal, chase the official into the parking lot, uh, chase the official into the referee's room, uh, you know, screaming at the official with obscenities and telling them, you know, um, you know, personal stuff about their families. Yeah. That is unacceptable. Yeah. It's amazing what a thin piece of glass uh, um, can do to somebody's bravery, isn't it? I mean, that quarter inch piece of glass or plexiglass or whatever, um, some folks see it as a, you know, an eight foot concrete wall that, you know, so they're, they're safe. They can just abuse whoever's on the other side. Um, but, uh, but I get it now you did send me those, those clips from officially human. And I thought one of them was, I thought they were both great, but, uh, one of them was particularly, um, it was just on point. It was from the perspective of an or- a parents at an orchestra concert and, you know, they were, the poor kids are up there just trying to do their best playing orchestra and hear the parents, you know, screaming at one another. Why does your kid get the solo? Why not my kid? You know, that kind of thing. And that's, you know, it relates directly right back to hockey. Um, and, and with your permission, Ed, I, I can share those those links um, out, out on the uh, Twitter for our, for our cheesy little podcast here, if that's okay. No, I would ask you not yet, Chris, because I haven't shared it with our management. Okay. Yeah, so, so let me, you know, before I, I share, and again, my plan is to share with our management and share with the whole ACHA world. That works. That works. Well, that, we'll, that is we'll, we'll have to go to our senior management first with my plan. That, that works. That yeah. works. I don't want to. I love talking about it. You know? <laughs> Brenda Hilton, is, she's the owner of ACHA, of this officially human. Uh-huh. I hope you get a sense of this. Um, we're, we're, I'm working on a relationship with her. I, I think it's amazing. You know, Good. Uh, they have some bigger goals, officially human. And, you know, I, I can't talk about it, but I hope their goals come true um, because this will be good for all sports, all officials. Um, and I just want to give you one example, a very good lifelong friend of mine, his son played at Penn state. I love it. Um, and the mom and dad would go and the mom, she went to a couple of games and she said the way the fans and the stands were yelling with the language, she never went to another hockey game ever again in her life, even though her son played. Wow. So th- that, uh, how sad you know, is that? Yes. Yeah. She, I mean, and yeah. she loved her son. She goes, I'm just simply not going to tolerate myself to that. She goes, it's not, she goes, I left that game and I was upset the way people are yelling at the players and the language. And she goes, I just, I love my son, but I can't put up with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, ain't nothing. You don't want to get a mom angry. I was going to say, there's nothing uh, worse to have to deal with than an angry hockey mom. That's for sure. Yes. Wow. So she just, well, that's too bad. That's sad. That's sad. All right. Well, very, very so, good. Yeah. So we're trying to change it, Chris. And I, and I know guys like you and, you know, the board, the ACHA board, and I know they're totally on board. And I just, I can't thank everybody enough for trying to make this situation better. Well, we're trying, and that's why we've got good folks like Ed Giacomucci and uh, helping us out with the ACHA referee-in-chief. All I know is this, Ed, whenever I've had the, the occasion to call from a commissioner point of view to the referee-in-chief, you've been nothing but gracious. And even when my guy might have been totally out of line you were nothing but gracious and uh, uh, so I, I i always appreciate whenever i have to deal with ed giacomucci not on, only on a personal basis but also on the professional basis one of the things that always stood out to me from from what you you told me years ago um i was asking you to look over a a, a fight and you didn't look at it from the perspective of the fight. You were looking at it from the perspective of the officials and the linesmen. And you said, look, those two kids, they might not have done, you know, they might not have been Frazier Ali out there on the ice, but they were causing my guys to have to work and to work harder than they should have just to separate them. So, you know, the penalties they got were the penalties they deserved. 
and that always resonated with me is that um, you know there's more than one perspective on how you know how folks watch and see this game and uh, so I, I always appreciate that about you Ed so there's me blowing a little smoke your way so take it for whatever well, it's worth I'm not a fan of fighting Chris like, even pro hockey I am just not a fan of it I never have been and yeah. I, like look I come from Philly, the Broad Street Bullies. I mean, there wasn't a tougher team in hockey. Yep. I, I, I'm just not a fan of fighting in hockey. I just I never have been and I never will be. Uh, again, I got no problem going at it and being really physical, but fighting in, in our sport, I, I'm just not a fan of it. Yeah, especially especially at this level, right? Kids have to go to class the next day or go to work, and it's not like you're being paid to do this. You're, in, you're paying to play. Thing, yep. Yeah. Jeez. Whenever I sit in these meetings about a, a review of supplemental discipline, I'm like, our children in college have to grow up to be doctors and lawyers and, you know, mailmen and whatever profession they have to raise families and kids. And, you know, it is incredibly important for our players to enjoy the sport and us to protect them um, to live their life. Yep. Yep. That's the absolute and, truth. And, and I also want to talk about something else, Chris. So sure. Officials, some of my officials, look, they make mistakes. My officials are human. They're not perfect. Um, some of my officials get, um, you know, above and beyond what they should be doing. Um, you know, the adrenaline gets a hold of them. Um, I actually, you know, I penalize, you know, uh, and I suspend officials, you know, routinely every year. I probably suspend half a dozen officials for some games, um, you know, not doing what I expect them to do within the ACHA standards. So the same standards that apply to players absolutely apply to my officials. So that's a point we didn't talk about. And I would like everyone to hear that, that I hold my official to a high standard. If I do things that are not within our standards, Chris, and my standards, um, they will take a vacation. And that's what I tell people. <laughs> I like how you put that. They'll take a vacation. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. Well, and that's good to know, right? That just like there are people watching the players, there are people watching the officials and they have Absolutely. standards. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, very... And I'm not easy on my, while well, I back them up. If they're wrong, I will tell them they're wrong. Um, and, and I do multiple layers of supplemental discipline on my officials. Um, I've had them write letters. Um, you, I've had them do community work. Um, I've used very, very, a, a very unique approach to some of my officials, you know, about discipline. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, who, let's, let's hope that you don't have to do that as much this season. I've had a couple. It's good. <laughs> but the officials should be held to a higher standard, you know? Well, that, yeah, they we're, should we're be. There. We're, we're the professionals. We're paid, you know? I know it's a high-stress job, um, but we are held to a higher standard. If my officials go outside of their responsibilities and outside of the standard I expect, um, they will hear from me. And, and I will, you know, issue supplemental discipline. Wow, there you go. That's what the uh, referee in chief does. Wow, that's impressive. Oh, there, there's lots to it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, hey, we're, we're, we're going to get you out of here, but uh, I'm going to end on one other or one note here, Ed. Uh, you've mentioned it a couple of times you're a Philadelphia fan. I know that you're a huge Philadelphia Eagles fan. <laughs> so uh, let, let's talk about this. The Eagles are doing well so far. You have a, an Oklahoma Sooner at quarterback in Jalen Hurts, even though he's hurt right now. Yeah. Um, I know again, Google is Mr. Google is a, is a great research assistant. Um, the Giacomucci's have had season tickets to the, uh, Eagles for years, what, almost 50 years now, if, if not longer. Yeah. My dad, my dad first started going in 1950 and I've been going since I've been 10 years old. 
Wow. So let's let's talk about it. I mean, I don't want to bring up the the past. I mean, heck, you and I were talking when the Cowboys were just playing the Eagles. Um, and I think when you and I were talking, the the Eagles had had just uh, taken the lead. Obviously, they didn't win that game. So, um, but they're having a hell of a year so far. What's what what's your prognostication? Put on your Karnak, the magnificent hat, and where do you see the Eagles going here for the rest of the season? Well, it's not a bad time to be a Philly sports fan. Yeah, um, our soccer team, our major league soccer team, was in the championships. Our Phillies were in the World Series. I mean, they were right on the, the verge of winning that. Yeah. Um, our Eagles are doing well. Uh, our Sixers aren't doing so bad. But um, Dallas Cowboys this past week is the number one. They're villains here in Philadelphia. They're our <laughs> number one rival. Um, nobody in Philly likes Dallas. And to lose to Dallas is hurtful. Um, but, again, I, I know the Eagles had four turnovers. And, you know, they're not going to win any game with their four turnovers. So this weekend coming up on New Year's Day, they play the Saints, and I'll be there, you know, with uh, uh, with uh, seventy other thousand fans, and I'll be the one wearing a green Eagle shirt, you know. <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, well, they're what one game away from clinching the clinching the NFC East, right? One win, it's all we need. We have two games left. Okay. Home against the Saints, and then the home against the Giants. So the last two games are at home. Oh, that must Galen, be. Galen, they're talking probably won't play this weekend. Yeah. So they're talking about that. So it'll be Gardner Minshew, who isn't bad. He, it, we, Eagles would have won that game, Chris, if they didn't turn the ball over four times. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing. Gardner Minshew, he's a, he's a heck of a player. I mean, come on. He played for Mike Leach. He's, uh, he knows what he's doing. He can sling the ball. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then uh, where do you think what do you think their chances are in the playoffs? Um, I, I think they're good. Um, you know, I, I, I do. I think they're good. Um, all I know is the Eagles invoiced me already for the playoff tickets. So, <laughs> Uh, their their technology is working great, huh? It's, yeah, it's working good. Yeah, so it's a. Uh, I am not a guy to look too far ahead. Uh, I'm a one game at a time kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, would I love them to be in the Super Bowl? Absolutely, but it's the NFL. It's it's tough. It is. So it's uh, I I literally am a one game at a time kind of guy. Well, you know, I was sitting there watching last night. Uh, last night it was what the Cardinals and the uh, Buccaneers, and I mean, it was a it was a game. It wasn't a, a, a scintillating game, but they're talking about uh, you know with Tampa winning how it keeps their playoff hopes alive, and that you know once Brady gets into the playoffs, you never know what's going to happen. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, there are a couple of teams that out there that I don't want to run into if no matter if I'm anybody like I, I like the Cowboys don't get me wrong and um, the Patriots are my other team um, but the Cowboys I think are 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 thin and I'm not saying that uh, not being disrespectful of, of the win I just don't see uh, they've got a really good defense but their uh, offense is kind of hit and miss and when they're on they're great and when they're off they're I mean they're god-awful um, the I don't see the Cowboys as a scary team um, I don't see the Buccaneers as a scary team. Philadelphia, I can see as a scary team. The Bengals, I see as a scary team. The Chiefs, obviously, a very scary team. Um, so, you know, and I'm not asking you to put them in the uh, in the Super Bowl just yet, but you've got to have some confidence that they're if they don't get the bye as the number one team in the uh, in the NFC, that they're at least going to get a a home game against a relatively well. You know what? They'll be the second seed, and they'll they'll get what the eighth or ninth team that that makes the playoffs. Yep, and a home game. Yeah. Um, coming into Philly, Chris, I don't know if you've ever been to a home Philly Eagle game. It's, Never. 
it is the fans are insane. They're out of control. Um, it does not scare me for anyone to come in here to Philadelphia. I, I do not believe, again, tur- tur- turnovers are the key. I do not believe anyone will beat the Eagles at home. Okay. I mean, those fans are crazy. And when you go to those games, the noise level, it's just, it's deafening. Huh. Um, it, 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 it's pretty, pretty awesome. Pretty awesome experience. Good. Well, you know, good. So I don't believe anybody will beat the Eagles at home. If the Eagles have to travel on the road, which I, I don't see that happening, it could, it, it could be interesting. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, listen, Ed, I appreciate your time this morning um, to talk about uh, your role as referee in chief, also to talk about the, uh, the, the, you know, the shortage of officials, the reason why there's a shortage of officials, how we, you know, might possibly, you know, have, uh, you know, get a solution um, started. Um, and so listen, I just, I, I, I appreciate you and I appreciate your time and, uh, just want to thank you very much for being on this WCHL podcast. Again, there's only 14 listeners, Ed. So if you really do want to be king of king for a day and, you know, you want to avoid the board and, uh, make, make them play for the Giacomucci cup, um, we can do that. We can get, <laughs> we can get, we can give all the kids, uh, you know, little statues of Ed Giacomucci, you know, the, the MVP, they can get the Giacomucci, um, you know, we can call it the Ed and they can get a little, uh, you know, a little statue of, of you as the MVP instead of like a cowboy boot or whatever it was we gave away a couple of years ago. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I thank you, Chris. Yeah. Uh, and the only thing I would have to say, if anybody has any questions, please just, my email is referee at ACHA hockey.org. Um, you know, I, I'm easy. You send me an email, I get right back to you. You know, I, I will gladly help anybody with any questions, concerns, um, you know, I'm just, I'm here to help. That, that's the best thing I can say. Yes, you are. And you do a great job of it. I, Ed, listen, I appreciate you. You're always on point. You're always on message and you're just a class act. So I appreciate you putting up with me and my baloney this morning. Uh, you're amazing. We've known each other a long time, my friend. We have, we have, we have. You I look are really good at what you do. You are, we are blessed to have you helping in the ACA. No, oh boy. Don't, oh. don't say that too much. There are people that you really are. You're all of that. Yeah. Well, you're, you're, you're good for us. You're well, very good. I appreciate the kind words. There, there are some folks out there that probably, you know, wish I'd step in front of a bus, but uh, one of these days, one of these days. Well, you and I hold hands, right? <laughs> uh, hopefully not anytime soon. Give us a couple more years, please. So, Ed Giacomucci, listen, thank you so much for being on the WCHL podcast. And uh, hold on for, for the rest of you. We'll be right back. Yeah, what do you think of that, huh? That's kind of interesting. Uh, Ed's Ed, Ed, Ed's a great guy, and for all the you know, he was giving me an awful lot of accolades, but um, hey, I don't deserve them. Uh, Ed, if there's anybody in the ACHA that deserves uh, all those accolades, it's Ed Giacomucci. He's uh, he's a salt of the earth kind of guy. Uh, I thank him for his time, and uh, I want to thank Ryan Armstrong uh, from Missouri State University who suggested. Uh, this you know series of talking to folks from the ACHA we hope to have some other ACHA folks on uh, in intermixed with these player interviews I also want to thank uh, each and every one of you for listening to this podcast uh, I know that we joke around and that we always say that there's only 14 listeners and they're all in Springfield Missouri but uh, I know that's not the case so we appreciate you listening we appreciate your uh, uh, support of the ACHA and of the WCHL and of the student athletes in uh that are playing these games that we appreciate so much that uh that 
you know, they don't get the credit that they, that I think that they deserve. And, uh, again, let's uh, you know, I hope you found, uh, talking to, uh, Jocko pretty interesting. He's, he's a sharp guy and, um, it's got it from a different kind of perspective. We, we all see it from wins, losses and players and our team. And he's looking at the game from the, uh, through the prism of officials. And I thought this was a, a great, interesting conversation. So listen, we're going to get out of here. Um, in the meantime, want everybody to stay safe and, uh, we hope to talk to you pretty soon. Take care. <laughs>